Oh, and here we are. Another week. Another drink. We're going into the GM studio where we talk about the tabletop RPG hobby. You know, mostly focused for the game master, but the players, come on in. We want you to listen to this shit. And uh, after last week where I had to do this sober with my friends at 9 o'clock in the morning, I'm very happy to be back. Your show here brought to you by that wonderful, wonderful Jameson whiskey. Dave, I hope you got something there with you. I got nothing, man. I got no booze in the house. Oh, fuck. Well, guess what? I am your host, Matt. David, I'm back, bitches. I'm back. I know. Welcome back, Dave. How was uh how was Boozy. Europe, dude? <laughs> Actually not. They're they don't really do um they don't really do they don't know what whiskey is in Europe, apparently. Um really everybody just drinks beer and wine. If they have cocktails, it's like a gin and tonic or rum and coke. This is highballs, and then you have to go to like a cocktail bar, and they like, oh, here, here's our selection of bourbons. Maker's Mar. Maker's Mar. Oh, Johnny Walker Black the... Label. Yeah. Jack Daniels. Okay. Like, right. Those aren't bourbons, people. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. It's a fucking American thing. But no, yeah, I'm happy to happy to be back yeah. here in my routine. Here to talk to you about some uh, nerd shit. I know. And you were back and you went fucking... Uh... You hit uh, feet to the street yesterday in our uh, Curse of Strahd campaign. You were immediately asking for player, well, character development. Um, I don't know if it was because you didn't have enough time because you were in Europe that you were so much into the temple or what we were going to do. And I love this because I do the same thing. A good fill time is to kind of bring up some character development. And was that your plan when you came in? Uh, I've just, I've been on that campaign trying to rope the players. And I thought I handled that. I thought I handled that fairly well last night. However, I did find myself a little like unprepared for the second layer of the temple. Um, Mm -hmm. It was just too many things that I like hadn't i didn't look over the adventure and make sure that i knew um where everything was but again it's also part of it is too is like you're you're in this big room in the middle of the amber temple and because it's kind of an alfresco situation you can see into a variety of different areas and like your character in particular can see farther than the rest of the characters (laughs) Yeah. So it's like mm-hmm. I'm trying to to coordinate all that, but I uh, I was I was deliberately trying to just be on this campaign where I'm trying to wrangle in the make things more um, hit home more for the characters because we're the plot is starting to kind of congeal and and culminate. So I want there to be a lot of dramatic punch. Uh, so there was some of that. I thought that the I probably again I've been because I've been focusing more on that element I have allowed some of the uh, description especially in battle to kind of fall by the wayside this goes to my point previously mm-hmm. about yep. managing all aspects of the game and doing them all well is very difficult but uh, I thought I set some good mood at the Salonka Pass I thought I reestablished mood once you guys back got back at the temple to a fair degree. 
uh, uh, there was a point in the evening where I, I don't know if you noticed this, but I literally just backed away. The players were, you guys were strategizing about how to fight the Arcana law. Oh, yes. And I yes, just yes, yes, stepped yes. back. I'm like, I'm not, I am not going to like yep. go, what are you doing? What is happening? Who's doing what? I'm just, I'm just going to be silent until somebody tells me something that they're doing. And I, this goes for you listeners out there that don't know. I've played under Dave's GM or sons, uh, whatever you want to call it. Lordship GM Lordship GM Lordship, uh, that I could tell I, me myself, because Chris, especially Chris, baby, I love you. You're great. You're amazing. I know you're listening. Stop getting so mechanic heavy because you are fucking amazing. And every time that you want to go in and you want to do something very cinematic and awesome, you are amazing and you do it, but you always bring it up. Oh, it's long winded and you're doing this. Don't worry about it. Just do it, baby. You're doing great. I love you. Um, But uh, I could tell when it happened, all of a sudden Chris started talking. Beto started talking. I started talking. And it's just like, holy shit. And, And me, myself, I could tell Dave is. He's taking a step back a little bit. And I loved it. I thought it was really good during those times. Well done. I just don't want the party to. I don't want to be ushering people down like a certain path. I'm getting impatient. It's like okay, you guys just want to stand here until this, and it's like, I'm just going to allow it to play out until somebody does something. We had some pretty cool moments last night. Um, in particular, the battle with the Arcanoloth. I mean, from, from what I could tell, mostly, like, it was Patrick and Beto. I don't think anyone else even, like, attacked mm-hmm. the dude. But uh, Patrick, nope. in nope. grand fashion, was like, I'm going to just, like, bounded off this, this yes. overhang, like, this balcony that flanks the statue so he's like oh, so he's like where would i have to be in order to see into the statue's head I was like oh well over here he's like okay so but i can long jump here and then while i'm in the air i can and should be able to misty step right I'm like yeah absolutely mm-hmm. so like jumps off this balcony and then in midair like misty steps up into the fucking head like crowded up with the dude like just start fucking him off with the sensor <laughs> I, I, I dropped the ball there, though, on a couple of, uh, I think the battle might have been a little bit easier because I forgot the Arcanoloth can teleport. He could have just teleported mm-hmm. out of the head. Um, but, I mean, Patrick just, just did so much fucking damage uh, in one go, as he does. When, he, when he's got all his spell slots and he throws smites on top of shit, just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> and coming from Patrick... I love Patrick to death, and I can never understand what he's saying. I think I'm the uh, only one that can now, hear him. I know. I think you are the only one that can ever understand what Patrick says. But you have a lot of privacy when it comes to that. But uh, Patrick is a very monotone, very monosyllabic sort of person. Um, and when he does something crazy like he did the other night with this, like, I want to jump over to the to the statue head. Just like, holy yeah. shit, something is happening. And it was. It was actually kind of cool at the time because I was getting ready to do something very stupid and very cool. And then uh, at the point, you know, Dave was just like, hey, just do this check. Did it. It's just like, nope, it's not going to happen. And Patrick did it. And I was like, that's awesome. I much prefer Patrick do something 
super cool than me right now because I did. I've taken a lot of the spotlight in the last little bit, uh, and I do. I love it when all the other players get a little bit more. Yeah, we're trying to share it a little bit better, and I think by giving some of the character backstory and and thoughts and motivations, that's uh, that's good. It was a it was a good win for the party. I think you're probably a little emboldened now. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. People were a little, I think, initially gun shy. Like, okay, so we're gonna do this. We're gonna strategize, and I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna wait for you to say something. And there was like everybody just kind of standing around, just waiting. That it's like okay, the... like they're they're nervous because it was like last time you got your asses handed to you. And it's uh-huh. like but you came in prepared. You knew what to expect. And sure, it's it's you're also way more hit points now and you have much more capabilities under your belt i think that's the only thing that i'll say about our session last night that i was i was horribly bored for quite a while because there was so many mechanics talk that it just like put me to sleep many a times well uh Especially, like, no offense against Patrick. He did some cool shit, but then when he attacks, there's so much shit that he can do that I was just like, all right, Patrick is attacking. I'm going to put my headphones over here. I'm going to go grab a drink. I'm going to take a piss. I might even grab (laughs) something to eat, and then I'll be back. And he's still not done. I think we... That's the only thing that I got to say about last night's session. It was... Because it had to be, um, because unfortunately uh, with D and D, sometimes you do you got to be very mechanics heavy, and it was it was there was a lot of numbers thrown here and there, and eh, unfortunately it got a little cumbersome. That uh, has to happen sometimes, and some players, you know, like you said, Chris, he's always like worried about like kind of how things work, and and. I know, baby, I love you. Don't worry about it. Go ahead. Get into character. Don't worry about it. Out of character, don't worry about it. You're fine. I get it, though. I mean, sometimes you don't wait for permission. You just assume that you can do anything. I'm going to go through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to just jump through this arrow slit. I was like, well, hang on here. Like, <laughs> this is a three-foot mm-hmm. gap. Like, let's, I'm going to need a check from you. You know, you, you failed. Okay, you're not doing that. Like, there, but, I think the other players are less comfortable making that assumption and trusting that I'll just stop them. Yeah. They want to make sure that they're they're, well, they're yeah. coloring in the lines without mucking things up. That said, though, I fairly certain that a lot of this character backstory campaign that I've been on, not even backstory, just thoughts, motivations, some of it's backstory. I really want the party to come out of the Amber Temple prepared and with some sort of solidarity to move on to the next leg of the adventure and to be invested in the story and the plot as much as they are invested in the conflicts. And so that's pretty um, pretty likely, I think, at this juncture. I need to make myself a little more apprised as to what's likely to happen again it's just such an open area there at the bottom i didn't know where you guys were going to go what you were doing everybody kind of seemed to be doing different things and so when that happens it's difficult for me to 
wrangle the party in when you have it's a little like just opening the opening the door in like a chicken pen right all the chickens just kind of scatter in like every direction and you're trying to like <laughs> uh-huh. I, which one do i go after first right like i can't get all of them at once so that's kind of where we where we were but uh we're gonna take another week off next week so that's a little unfortunate mm-hmm. i want to get back into the habit of uh moving the plot forward especially because i know you are probably ready to get the fuck out of the amber temple and i can't oh, yeah. blame you for that uh depending on on what you guys want to do you are probably at a point now where i'm i'm gonna grant you a milestone even if you left so uh mm. you can't say that you haven't made some good faith effort to explore most of the temple but there is still a decent amount of stuff in here and some of which could be cool and and peel a little bit of the onion of the characters and stuff like that and but if that's not interesting to you, then move on to the next leg. I tried to foreshadow that maybe some some things were on the horizon. So hopefully that provided a little bit of dramatic tension and a little bit of um, sense of urgency to the to the group. Oh no, it was great. I loved. Uh, it's just whenever it comes to combat now, uh, because uh, bringing up with my uh, Shadowrun game that we do at work that I mm. do at work. Uh, my Wednesday Shadowrun games. So I, I've been thinking about this for like a month and a half. I was just like, man, I want to change. Ever since Rebecca, love you, boo. Thank you so much. Ever since Rebecca sent me the ICRPG mm-hmm. stuff, I've been looking at everything that I've been running. I'm like, man, and I just thought about it, thought about it, thought about it, looking at all of it, and uh, especially with my Shadowrun game. Because my players are so, they are more role play than anything Mm -hmm. else. Like when it comes to combat or whenever it comes to mechanics, they do whatever they can to just stay away from fucking anything. And I was like, I thought to myself for the last month and a half, I was like, these dudes, they want something a little bit easier, something a little bit more straightforward where they still have a game, but that. They can just have creative, like, you know, they are the ones that can create anything. So last Wednesday, I asked them all. I was just like, hey, what do you think about a system change? I want to change to ICRPG because I think it would be better for all of you. And every single one of them were just like, fuck yeah, let's do it. I was not expecting that. Coming from um, prior like uh knowledge of all this i'm i was so used to such kickback when it came to a system change but they were all just like yeah they were just like fuck yeah let's do it oh you say that it's gonna be better for us yeah let's do it because they're and guess what our last session was oh fucking amazing i had so much fun because we uh we did the big switch last wednesday and we had so much fun because it was so quick. Every single dice roll was very, very quick. And uh, we had a great chase scene. We had just, oh, my God. And I'm very happy with the with the change, which will come up in an email later. It makes sense to me, though, because role-playing heavy groups really don't care that much about the mechanics. So they're just like, no, whatever is no, streamlined no, no. and whatever like makes sense. And it's like, 
this is why you get beleaguered with our group because you want to play in the kind of group that you run the game for and Mm -hmm. i'm sympathetic to that but at the same time i don't think that the rest of our group i think the rest of our group likes the mechanics of DD more i think they like that strategizing like mechanics like maybe we could do savage worlds that probably would split the difference like if we Mm. mechanics switched to savage worlds that would be perfectly fine i think we would need to that would that shift would have to happen after a curse of stride because the adventure is not laid out in a way that uh lends itself to using that system but i would be perfectly open to that i don't know that the other players mm. are as oh i know you would all that but yeah it. our players they are they there's but they're still getting used to the rules of yeah. D really like you and i we are very open to other games really where the people that play with us they just know this one and they're still trying to get used to this one like chris he i could see him getting into something else but the rest of them they're all still getting their heads around D D. for me though it is I'm the most comfortable running D&D because I have the most authority that I have, like, knowledge of those rules. Mm-hmm. So I'm comfortable making more of a ruling on something that rules are not clear about. This came up last night, right? Patrick was unsure whether, if, if anyone has an official source on this, I haven't looked it up on the internet. Patrick has a war horse that's a summoned celestial creature which also carries some of his gear. But let's just... Yeah, the Paladin Summon yeah, Steed. Summon Steed. So it's like his Warhorse feature. The Warhorse wears armor and has some... It's like a saddle and stuff on it, obviously. And when it dies, it goes back to its wherever its origin is until he gets summoned again. But the question is, does all the stuff that it has just fall to the ground? And I was like, well, I don't. Yeah, if you equip shit to it. And it raises the question of, well, what's the difference between something being equipped and something being on the horse? It's like, well, yeah, because clearly there's no ambiguity of whether the rider would fall. Like if you were on the horse and the horse died, you don't go back to the plane with the fucking horse. But in what Mm -hmm. way is the rider different than the saddle? In what way is the difference between you holding a sword and having a sword on your back? Like, are they the same or different? This came up with the closet that Elros used to have before he lost his patron. He was like, well, I'll just keep the, what was it? Some item. He's like, I want to keep it safe. So I'm just going to give it to the closet and put the closet in the pocket dimension so that it's just in the pocket dimension with it. I'm like, yeah, that's not, I'm not having that. <laughs> like, that's not a thing right uh but for some reason the horse's armor goes with him and it's like well what's the difference so so it's like one just seems like you're trying to end around the rules and the other one just seems silly that like of course it wouldn't of course it's saddle that's on the horse Mm -hmm. isn't gonna fall to the ground but fuck i don't know i go either way but yeah you just make a ruling and what makes seems like it makes this makes the most sense if anyone has an official ruling yeah. listening to this and can point to something that says yes this is what happens and i'm keen to go either way but anyway 
and Dave made a ruling right there. He was just like, yeah, no, this is what I think is going to happen. So that's the that's the main point is that the GM needs to make that ruling right then. What they feel is, yes, this is you have more confidence doing that when you know the rules inside and out. So, like, I would be less comfortable Mm -hmm. running a shadow, um, not a shadow run, almost a shadow run, uh, a Savage Worlds game because I don't know the rules that well. They don't mm-hmm. seem as complicated as D&D, but we did try to run a Savage Worlds game with just me and Mike and Beto and Chris, and it just, I don't know, I, I, I suspect I was doing it wrong, because battles were just taking like an hour and a half. Yeah, that is not I don't know, I was right. like, I can't, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, Savage Worlds combats are not meant to be... <laughs> not meant to which go is that what, was, what drew me to it initially i was trying to run this little sword and sorcery adventure and it was like oh cool it'll just be a fast and pithy kind of whatever uh but it didn't work out that way and my players didn't seem to like the system probably because of that but they also just hmm? don't really like the old gritty sword and sorcery genre as much as i do mm-hmm. and i was like oh we're gonna play this or you run the game i don't want to run the game well we're playing this then but <laughs> there was like a like a beta test so i don't know anyway well i'm hoping uh next weekend uh dave is gonna play uh as well as as long as it's you and beto that's all that matters uh you and one other person i want to run a hard suit game for Mm. you guys and i think it's going to be a lot of fun but uh let's get to a community question you got your die there ready let's do it 18 18 Let's go to the list. Yeah, I'm glad your rules change uh, worked out because yeah, that wouldn't that I wouldn't have anticipated that either. Most players would be like, "Holy shit, boo!" You don't even fucking know how much anxiety I had when it came to it. I like I was like ready to have a fucking heart attack, asking everybody if they want to do a rules change, and they were just like, "Yeah, fuck it, whatever. Yeah, let's do it." (laughs) It just blew me away. Loved it. All right, so this question comes from um, random sad person. <laughs> okay, so how important is having a well-defined lore and world in your game? I just don't have a mind for world building, and I can't be bothered uh, to read the long history books about fantasy worlds. So the lore in my game has always grown organically, quote-unquote. Sure. We start with a basic fantasy setting, and the adventures, actions, and questions from the players define the lore and the uh, the lore and step at a time. What am I doing wrong, and how can I make this better? This is a little bit of a faulty question. Why do you assume you're doing anything wrong? I don't see a problem with that approach. Um, you do have to prepare yourself for being kind of caught off guard, but sometimes that lore and all of that backlog of stuff is is not relevant to all campaigns and, and Mm. getting all steeped in it is not necessary all the time. I mean, Matt, I'm sure you know way more about the lore of Dungeons and Dragons than I do. Almost certain. Well, yeah, when it comes to forgotten realms, I know way more than you do. I like, I am a lore whore a lore is what whore. I am. I am a lore whore because uh, 
I know with the movie that just came out, I just learned that uh, one of the sorcerers, his last name is Orm, which is uh, uh, Elminster's mm-hmm. last name. So he's a he's a descendant of Elminster, and just like uh, with this stuff, um, so with my game uh, Shadowrun, if you ever run Shadowrun, you have to be. It's very very lore heavy, super lore heavy. Um, you don't have to be as hardcore as I am. I'm a massive Shadowrun fan, and uh, a couple of my players are big Shadowrun fans. So I like to be very lore heavy in all of it. But it's not necessary. You can add on to it, which I have plenty in the past. There's a key question here that I think the questioner isn't really considering, which is how important is lore to your game? If, you're, right. if there your it is. characters, your players, as their characters, are curious about different aspects of things or those different aspects of things inform the plot of your game. If this is a homebrew situation, then it might not be the case. And so, Oh yeah. You're free to just populate that lore as you see fit, uh, as you like come across it when it becomes relevant, you probably would have to make sure that you're taking some fairly detailed notes so that there's some consistency in the world that you don't have like, you know, oh, well, who, you know, what is, who is this statue to or whatever? You're like, oh, it's to the God of mm-hmm. War. And you're like, okay, well, who's that? And they're like, well, it's a uh, cord. Cord is the God of War. Like, oh, okay. And then later on, you're like, well, you know, Joe Schmo is the God of War. I thought you said it was cord, like a couple of, well, it's different now. It's like, uh, I don't know, you know, so you need to write down, okay, this is the person, you know, this is the God of War mm-hmm. now after I just decided in the moment that this thing is the god of war. He's some big minotaur monster or whatever, right? Then that's official, right? It goes in the little catalog. You'd have to take notes about that, but there's nothing wrong with it if it's not necessary for the upfront uh, things in your campaign that would hinge on it. Like the Sundering is a good example. That that whole campaign series in D&D does require you to be a little apprised of the lore because there was a big conflict with the gods oh, and, and, it was so good. and everything like that. But, so but if it's good. not, if it's a homebrew campaign that just starts at a small scale and grows, then you can just handle it like uh, you know, Minecraft. You know, the, the border mm-hmm. of the world is just doesn't, there's nothing beyond it until you go to it. You go to it and it just populates new world. And so that's how lore can be if for homebrews that's the way i always handled it i haven't homebrewed in a long time but when i was running my homebrew adventure prior to us getting back to curse of strong that's exactly what i did i just made it i made a little town and i populated that town but not the whole world i didn't have like the everything set the history and the this, that, and the other. I had a few little events that were relevant to the adventure that were enshrined in the in the lore of the adventure. But as you write each adventure, or you build each adventure, try to stitch together the world so that it doesn't feel siloed. The biggest problem without... Uh, the biggest problem with not having a lot of lore is the world can just kind of feel like random pockets and it doesn't seem to have any cohesion. 
but I'm, I'm with the, the question or I actually like this question. I think that it's a thing that a lot of new DMS might feel a little overwhelmed with, which is like, I'm not reading like basically like two novels worth of stuff. It's, I don't know how relevant it is and it can turn you off. Like as, as long as you know the basic rules of the game and you have some concept of what's relevant and if you're building it, then that's, if that's what they mean by quote unquote organic, then that's actually good because it's what it's more personalized, but you do have to be good about coming up with stuff on the fly. If someone pulls at a thread mm -hmm. of what's with this temple, like what, you know, I try to get some idea, go to the library and I research about like what happened with this temple. And you're just like, uh, well, I mean, it's just, it's a, just a temple. It's a temple devoted to the gods. Okay. Well, who are the gods? How many gods are there? Do I, what, what, there's some sort of patron this guy's a priest what is he a priest of it's like if you don't have answers to those questions or you're not good at coming up with them on the fly then the world feels just flat and generic and you don't want to have things feel flat and generic well he's the head of the guild it's like well what does the guild do usually there are lots of guilds right artisans guilds and craftsmen guilds and 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 but no it's, it's just the guild is <laughs> you know that, that it becomes really you know really generic and that's boring because there's no texture <laughs> and the world doesn't feel like uh as my uh, as one of our players it says it feel lived in it doesn't feel like mm. the world exists beyond the scope of the what the characters are immediately experiencing and you want them to believe that the world exists outside the scope of what the lens of the mm -hmm. adventure is showing them, because then that makes them curious to explore the world. And if they're curious to explore the world, then that's a call to adventure. And if they're not, then they don't give a shit and they don't care. And everything's just kind of a rote series of like random combat encounters. And if that's how your players want to play, hey, then yo. that could be fine, but it doesn't sound like I'd want to play in your game if that's how it's run. <laughs> Anything to add to that, man? No. Well, the one thing is, as I do, I love a good lore dump, but <laughs> <Sounds> dirty. <laughs> uh, it is. It's a. It's a. I love a good lore dump because me and uh, uh, one of my players, Xavier. I know he's listening, and he is. He's a big uh, Shadowrun lore fan, like I am. So whenever I bring up something in the game, I'll bring up big like key names. And he'd be like, oh, oh, I know what this is. Yeah. And both him and I, we can have that little, you know, that uh, that interaction that's just like, oh, yeah, this shit's going to be fucked because, you know, we're going to get fucked. <laughs> but one of the other cool things that I got to say is like back when Dave and I first started playing back in AD&D. Dave came up with, like, you had a little bit of, like, Mistara as well as Greyhawk in there. You you kind of, like, sprinkled some stuff sure. in there. But I didn't know fuck all about yeah. it. And guess what? I love that. I love that we could traverse the, the lands and Dave just told me, oh, this is some stuff that you know. And all of a sudden, he gave me this lore dump right there. Like that, I didn't have to read. That I didn't have to know beforehand. He just gave me something that was like, "Oh, that's fucking badass," and I want to let my party know. When it's pre-established, it acts a little more like Easter eggs, or as I call them, kind of winks to the audience. 
And I think it mm-hmm. can be a crutch sometimes too. I, I, well, it can because just like last time with the Amber Temple, like the the fucking the fiend and all this shit. I know what they are, and I know a little bit what the Amber Temple does. So it's like, eh, it kind of sucks. But you were able to bring it a little bit to life, which was cool. Yeah, well, that's always good to hear. But in particular, with some some things, like sometimes lore is so well established that published things just can't fucking get away from it. Like they can't right. get away yeah, from yeah. it. And and so I think that there is sometimes when it can actually be a detriment to have rich lore. It's like, can you have a single fucking adventure? I haven't read the rhyme of the Earth, the Frost Maiden. But can we have a, can anything exist in Icewind Dale without there needing to be a bunch of stuff about Drist and fucking Wolfgar and like right. all of that oh, stuff? No matter yeah. where it happens in the goddamn timeline, it, it's so yeah. The Ring it's of Frost. So yeah, much. Yeah, it's yeah. like okay, I, I can't. This thing just stand on its own. And when you do a homebrew, mm-hmm. you can really just make everything stand on its own. And Sometimes those East Yeah, Ten Towns, like there's so much there with Ten Towns alone that you could do. Precisely. And it doesn't need to sure maybe those little Easter eggs are, are cool every now and again. I'm not above it. Like I said, I did oh, it with sure. the uh cryovane uh in the mm-hmm. so Oh yeah, it's, yeah. It's cool and it's fun. And but if it's predicated on it, then it can be a, it can be a detriment, and I would just say how much of it is relevant, how much of it informs the fucking story. In, for instance, here in the Amber Temple, it does inform the story, but there's a lot more lore to that than you guys are probably aware of. But it does inform the story precisely because you're there. This the Amber Temple is the source of the dark powers where Strahd like got his dark powers from. So you're aware that that's a thing because of the, the lore that's behind it. But you don't need to know every single brushstroke of, of that picture, why it's relevant. Maybe if you pulled it the thread, there might be something more fruitful there. But if your players aren't that kind of players, then maybe it's not worth it. Maybe it's not really worth knowing what's what, uh, but I feel this way about uh, some adventures sometimes, uh, dungeons in particular. Right now you're in the Amber Temple and it's a temple. But some dungeons is like, well, what Mm -hmm. is this place? What's a dungeon? It's like, people don't just build fucking dungeons to populate with monsters. (laughs) What is this? Like, is it repurposed in some way? Uh If it's a cave system, that's, you know, whatever, it's a hideout. But some dungeons, you look at them and they just look like they were built so someone could put monsters in them. And that's weird mm-hmm. because to me, having something like a temple where, oh, well, this is the rectory and this is like, you know, the, the slaves quarters. And this is like the, this is where the, you know, the altar and the pulpit is. And it's like those things all make sense. And now they're inhabited by monsters or desolated or it's a castle. That makes sense. But. If, there, if there's no lore behind it, then you can literally just have some old of the second edition D&D adventures are this way. They're just like, they're just dungeons that like seem seemingly got created to just be a place for adventurers to go. And that be, it feels weird if you stop and think about it for like a half a second. 
and you don't want your whole world to feel that way, right? You don't want the entirety of the world to feel as though you're, uh, it just like exists, like in a, some sort of video game or something. The world needs to be inhabited. The, the mm-hmm. patrons of the, the tavern need to have some sense of identity and the, or at least the a texture of the of it feeling like a tavern, not just, well, not just exist here for the players to have a place to drink. Well, that's cool and everything, but why is it important to the plot of the story? You know, it's a, a tavern is a hub <laughs> and it, there should be other characters that like have traveled the world and have information and stuff like that. And if you don't flesh that out in any way at all, then it's going to be boring. Oh, that's a good one. God damn. That's a, you know, what? I don't ever play up on that as much as I should. When you're in the tavern, there should be, so you say the tavern is, you know, like it seats 30. There's 15 people here. At least two of those might be old adventurers that at least have something to say. Not necessarily old adventurers. Not necessarily, but it's a good chance that they're. Think about it this way, is the way I think about it. A tavern is populated with people and to the questioner's point lore building would be let's give each one of these players each one of these people in here a unique personality and a unique story mm-hmm. as to why they're here what they're doing it's not necessary i fell into this trap when i first started becoming a dm i would make like a town and i would draw every building out some of them Dozens of buildings, yeah. and each one of those buildings yep. had a description of what was inside and who lived there and what the building was. Not necessary. <laughs> I'll tell you what, listener. Yes, he did. He drew every single building. He wrote out every single inhabitant. He did what every... Oh, my God. It was insane. Not necessary. You can just go, what are the marquee buildings in town? You know what the fucked up thing was? I, was? I thought, oh, this is what a DM does. And I started doing the same thing. And it was a hell. It's hell. But you could just have what are the marquee buildings in town? Where's the tavern? Where's the mm. church? And then flesh those out. And then you have a bunch of other buildings. And then if someone says, if an NPC says, well, why don't you come over to my house for dinner? And you just go like, well, where do you live? And you go, just decide. I live here and you point to that building. And then mm-hmm. from that point on, that person lives in that building. That's the, right. You that's make a better note. method. So I yep. think as long as you're, if you're doing that on a world level, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but you do need to have some sense of trying to, to ensure that there is some consistency and intrigue and that the, the players don't feel as though, the world just stops like if they're in the tavern that there's just nothing outside the tavern doors nothing will ever happen mm. out in the the town out in the world if you're running aground of that then you need to start thinking about building a little bit of lore but you know if you're good at coming up with things on the fly and you can just populate the world as as the players interact with it and keep good track of it then no problem there at least i don't see one all right so here check this out we're going to go to our email, mm-hmm. which is going to lead into a lot more. So Brandon, who has emailed oh, us yeah. before, 
remember this dude. So Brandon talks, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here. He wants to go into much more of a, much like I was saying, how I brought my group into a little bit more of a, they're more of a role-playing group. So he says he he wants to change. Uh, it doesn't say that it doesn't say that he wants to change systems, but he wants to go from his D and D five E group more from a mechanical heavy to a more role playing heavy. Okay, and but he's afraid that his uh, what he's saying is that he's he's really afraid that when he goes to a role playing heavy that it's not going to be what they want. And this is going to be a part of a what I've seen recently in the community that cinematic uh, descriptions are a no-go. A lot of people are saying that they don't like cinematic descriptions, which I think, Dave, I want to say is, okay, I'm going to give you uh, uh, an example here. The scene goes black. And you hear the trickle of water dropping on the stones beneath your head. And as you open your eyes, you can see the gray slate in front of you, as well as the water drops. That's what I'm thinking, is that what they're expecting? Because a lot of people these days with critical role, because Matt Mercer is a very descriptive DM, Mm -hmm. and... When it comes to him, they're all actors, sure. and they're there to make a mm-hmm. show. He's very, very, very descriptive, and a lot of DMs are pushing against that because they're like, that's not the real game. But So a lot of people these days are saying that descriptive environments are ruining the game. And when I say that, what do you think? Well, you seem to be... Or, I'm sorry, cinematic. You... You seem to so you suspect that that Brandon's email is somewhat tied to this concept. Yes, and it's yeah. To me, I don't know why I would say to me. Of course, it's to me. Who else would it be to? Yeah, it is. I'm I'm tossing it to For you, but myself. Uh, yeah. The problem here seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding of what cinematic means. I suspect. When I say cinematic, what I mean is describing something in a way that evokes a visual image in your brain. Right. That's what I mean when I say cinematic. Talking about things in a way that makes it evident to you that you are viewing something that is worthy of your attention a game could play out where rote mechanical stuff but you would never put that on the screen to watch you emphasize moments of action things that are visually interesting and if you describe them in a way that does that then it should liven your game up but brandon's issue seems to be that he wants there to be more role playing but I don't know what he means by that maybe he illuminates that in the game perhaps some cinematic description might liven his game up to the point where he can get some sort of 
uh, splitting the baby there. But if he has some instincts about that his players just don't like that style, they don't like the role-playing aspect of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate to break it to you, man, but your, your job is to kind of provide your players with a game that they want to play in, in, a, in a world that they want to live in or that they want to populate their characters with. And I think you can probably incorporate some more role-playing elements, but it's probably not a good idea to just upend the entirety of your what your campaign is about. But that said, to kind of the similar point of the on the topic of, of cinematic description would be how do you make something dramatic that isn't mechanics based, that the rules don't spell out? And I think that's what well, what that... cinematic description aims to do is it aims to make things that exist outside the scope of the quote unquote rules in some way interesting mm-hmm. or dramatic. Mm-hmm. And if that's what he means by role playing, then or, or even an encounter that might just be a discussion, try to think of how you can make that as interesting as a fight, which if a fight is mechanical, it's still interesting to the players because it's quantifiable, it's predictable. It's, I mean, Patrick, although in our game, although he would, he kind of did like this cinematic thing last night where he did like this jumping and, and like, ah, ah, yeah. But like, for the most part, he's not that way. For the most part, he's like, I walk up to this guy Mm -hmm. and I hit him with my fucking sword. There's 36 (laughs) points of damage. And like, you know, I'm going to back off. And he doesn't really provide a lot of detail and it's still, he still seems to enjoy the game quite a bit. So, Mm-hmm. when you think of cinematic description, Matt, and when you think of, I mean, maybe similarly mm-hmm. to Brandon's question, when you think of role-playing, do you think of role-playing as an encounter that, or a, a, an aspect of the game that, that doesn't involve mechanics at all? Is that how, and if something doesn't involve mechanics, then it's role-playing? And similarly, do you think of cinematic description or, or something being cinematic in the way that I think of it or do you think about it more as the quote community thinks of it so unfortunately uh one big thing that I think of is that because what I've learned from you is that the DM makes the cinematic action that happens uh the player says this is what I want to do and then all of a sudden that it's it's our job to say this is what happens to make it, um, you know, it makes it exciting. And I tried to move my way afraid, uh, away from that. Uh, and I don't want to do that uh, because a lot of times, and I've seen it recently in our Curse of Straw game, that you do. Uh, me, you never say anything, whatever my character is thinking ever 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 because you know that i will always have something to come up with but uh like patrick with the sword with uh the sun blade you always have you never want to say what patrick is thinking mm-hmm. but the 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 sword is like pressing in and no matter what is happening you want to make this uh 
this thing that's going on. But unfortunately for some of our players that don't want to play into it, you place these like things into their mind. And uh, that's the only thing that I can think of that I, I don't like to do. I want my players to make up their own mind. I, I don't know that I agree with that. Uh, like I'm fine telling a character what they're thinking about. I'm not going to tell them what they do, but think mm -hmm. about it this way. When thought pop in the real world, how much are you in control of what thought pops into your head about something? When you when you're laying down to go Very to sleep true. and you don't you always want to go to sleep if you're in bed, but are you able to? Sometimes you just can't. Ooh, you're not in control of like what thoughts pop into your head or what you think about something. Now, if something is is something is antithetical to your judgment, your your values, I'm not gonna tell players what mm -hmm. they value. Um, but I can mm -hmm. also present like I did this with Patrick. I didn't try to tell him what to think about something, but I did tell him that there was kind of like a collision of like two ideas that he's trying to reconcile and, and which side he airs on, I think, or lands on is totally up to him. Uh, but your drift, your characters were drifting off to sleep last night. I'm just telling you what enters your mind, what you do with that mm -hmm. or why it's important to you is totally up to you. And so I don't have a problem with that, but I do think that there is a big difference between trying to infuse, if you want to say role-playing, like to Brandon's point, I, I, I think there's a difference between lively description and role-playing. Role-playing is in some way, or maybe, maybe lively description is a subset of role-playing. But I think of role-playing as some sort of dialogue or some sort of character exposition that reveals something about your character. And mm -hmm. I think that is, mm -hmm. there is important times for that to be had. Um, but the game can become too cerebral if you do too much of that, which is that it's a, it's a, a role playing game, but there's some sort of conflict and there needs to be some sort of action. There needs to be some sort of things that are actionable. And the more you can demonstrate the old storytelling adage of show don't tell the better mm. don't say my character is thinking about x my character is, is is really bummed out that like uh you know one of our party members was you know killed off or he's thinking about like his long lost love it's like okay great i think there's some aspect of that that is okay but well, what do you do you know, you, you, mm -hmm. you're thinking about X. What are you doing? It, it, it's a, a storytelling adage of show, don't tell. You don't write such and such was sad. Matt was sad. You don't, it's bad writing. You write maybe a tear trickled yeah, down yeah, Matt's yeah. face. Like you, you fucking know that he's sad. He's, you see that he's sad. Mm -hmm. That's cinematic because you're, you're showing and not telling. You don't want to tell what's happening. You want to show what is happening. I mean, and, and when you can do that as a player, contrast this. You're a rogue, let's say. You're the rogue of the party. And it's your turn to do something in a battle. Contrast the following description of what it is you do with the subsequent description. All right, I'm hidden behind this rock and the enemy is now adjacent 
to one of my cohorts. So I use 25 of my 30 feet of movement. I move up. I am um, going to attack him with my dagger and then again with my offhand. Um, and well, actually, no, I'm going to attack him with my dagger. Okay, I'm going to use my sneak attack because he's there. He's adjacent. And so I do I do 28 points of damage. And now I'm going to use my bonus action to kind of like move uh, to disengage. And I use my last five feet of movement to move back. Nothing wrong with that description, right? It's economic. Nope. Mm -hmm. It's to the point. It's not laborious and boring. But it is mechanics heavy. Contrast that with, all right, uh, slinking out of the shadows, I get up on the balls of my feet and slide into position next to my cohort while I'm twirling my dagger. A little smirk comes across my face as I plug my dagger into his solar plexus. I cause 12, you know, 18 points of damage applying my sneak attack, bumps it up to 28. Now, uh, you know, I've got his attention and I'm going to use my bonus action to disengage. I slide back without making eye contact, but roll my shoulders so he knows that I got a little soigne in my step. My turn is over, right? Like, so God, much more fucking sexy, lively sexy. description. And it's just with a, with a few descriptors, right? A smirk comes across my face. I plug my dagger into his solar plexus. It's specific because Ooh, you know where it is. You're using an evocative verb. It's a much sex. better description. And it probably doesn't take up even the same about the same amount of time the more you can mm -hmm. do that as a player as a dm you kind of get more used to it you kind of have to do that yeah mm -hmm. um if you can do that as a player if all players in your party were doing that maybe 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 brandon would call that role playing and if that's what he's trying to achieve then try mm -hmm. doing a little bit more of it try giving your players um descriptors of what their characters do like that they say, oh, I walk up and I do eight points of my damage on my sword. Try going, okay, so yeah, you move in and you know you slash across, dragging your blade down to the handguard, the technique that your mentor told you before repositioning yourself, getting your shield up and hunkering down. Do you want to do anything else? And then do that with the characters a little bit, if that's what he means by role-playing heavy, then uh, you, know, you can do that and you can infuse a little bit of um, something that reveals something about the characters. You can do that with their actions. If that's what he means, then, then that's good. And he can encourage that by providing the right incentives. But if he wants to pivot mm -hmm. to a completely different style of game, um, that's a discussion you need to have with your players. And um, But if, if people don't like the cinematic whatever then I don't want Well, hold on. I'm going to give you another cinematic, okay. quote unquote, that I've heard from the community. Okay. So uh, the party just uh, defeats a foe, okay. right? And they walk off into the distance. As you walk off into the distance, into the shadows behind you, you hear, or they don't hear, but the footsteps falls as somebody reaches down and they grab up say an arrowhead and they fiddle it in their fingers and they say i see i see well now we know how to deal with them as the shadowy figure walks off and then that's just sort of like a lead off to your your big bad is what it is and some people don't like that they really don't like that i think that criticism is somewhat valid and i kind of go back and forth about whether to like it because if that's what they're getting at, that 
cinematic. When I whenever I hear sim, cinematic sort of thing, that's what I think of. Like when I think of us in play, that's just like action that's happening. But cinematic is like that off. And see, that's just me. I think of that off screen sort of thing. Why are you showing it to me when my character doesn't perceive it? Right. And I get that. Exactly. I totally get that. And if that, yep. if that's what they mean by saying cinematic, it's like you're you're showing me a bunch of stuff that's outside the scope of my character's knowledge. But what if they're like you're not giving anything away, but you're just saying you're just adding on to the story. Like I'm not a like I'm with you on this, but I'm just playing devil devil's advocate on this. What if you're just adding on to the story? Well, the problem that it creates, and I suspect if this is what people are talking about, why it irritates them, because the whole appeal of a role-playing game is that you inhabit this one character and mm. you shouldn't be able to perceive things outside that character's immediate scope of influence. And if you're being shown those things, then you feel as if you're being railroaded or offered extraneous information and so and it probably ruins some of the mystery by and it seems kind of lazy mm -hmm. because you're just showing what happens when the characters aren't there i think used sparingly it could be fine and interesting and might lend itself to certain other genres you did it a little bit when you were running the star wars game for us Yep, and it worked yep. really well because Star Wars is a mm -hmm. movie franchise. So you want to yes. kind of think in those those terms. And I remember even I, I remember being like, wow, that was a really cool way to like end the session. You know, it's like the, this bounty hunter. And, and it even occurred to me, I was like, you know, it's Star Wars, but it's like, seriously, like he just so happens to be in this ship in all of space. We pass mm -hmm. by him like it's a car, like a taxi on the fucking highway. But like it's cool, yeah. <laughs> you know. I was like, I get it. it. It it does seem like a Star Wars thing, and so mm -hmm. for some genres, that works well, um, mm. giving the players a little bit of uh, information. I like what you said. Use it sparingly, very very sparingly. But it it, it opens the do not it opens the doors. Like, well, why then? It does. And not yeah. Now. But uh -huh. for me, yeah. I go, I, I don't ever do that. I don't ever give the characters information outside the scope of what they can perceive mm -hmm. because mostly I feel like right. it ruins any suspense or drama. And there should, if it's important, then the character should come across it. They should either discover what has happened, piece together what has happened, or come across something that is relevant. And sure maybe you could do some way of communicating it to them uh if it's a fantasy rpg or a horror rpg you know visions and dreams are a good way to do that you can mm. talk about them in more you know flavorful and, and cinematic things i think that's something that you don't want to overuse i try not to overuse the whole like it was in a dream thing but it is a way right. of kind of yeah. perhaps giving the characters information that they wouldn't otherwise have and showing that their their characters are perhaps somewhat aware that other things are happening in the world that don't involve them and 
light a fire under their ass. But if it's just, it's handled almost like a scene that's like not the emperor is talking to Darth Vader and your characters aren't there in a strict role-playing sense of the word, the role-playing game, like the character should not have any information about that. But if you're playing in Star Wars, then maybe you do want them to have that information. And what are they supposed to do with it? Are they supposed to act like they do or don't have mm -hmm. that information? I can see how it would fuck up your process of going whatever. But maybe if by cinematic you mean, well, all of the actors in a movie would have read the entire script to the movie. It's like, well, that is true. But within the world mm -hmm. of that movie, the characters in the world would not be aware of what was happening on the Death Star. They wouldn't. And if they did, it would be fucking weird. <laughs> I like your idea of the characters find something that really, uh, it's like the turn of the mystery. Yeah. Like they find this piece of the jawbone or they find this piece of paper that is like the turn. And then they go off to town to do everything. But then the bad guy, you know, you, you shift the scene to the bad guy who is still cloaked. You know, nobody knows who he is. And then he realizes that, oh, they know this. Oh, this is good. It could be cool. Like, I've only used this, like you said, in the Star Wars game or anything that is supposed to be cinematic. Like, if I was ever to play, like, the Alien RPG or anything that is supposed to be cinematic, I might pull that shit out. But I don't, other than that, like, one time, maybe two well you know i might have done it like three or four times uh cinematically when it comes to like a movie scene i might have done it i there's a distinction here that probably caused the confusion i wouldn't call what you just described cinematic description i would call it a mm -hmm. cinematic plot or a Ooh. cinematic script or something else to me, description is action-oriented. You're relaying what sort of action is happening in the scope of what the players are perceiving. If you wanted to shift that to say, well, the player, the, the, the caricatures distinguished from the players the players get information that the characters don't have because mm. the the reason i suspect people hate this is because it separates them from their characters it separate right. it makes them a viewer of the plot as opposed to the character in the plot a role-playing game uh -huh. people uh -huh. want to be the character in the game immersion I don't know, immersion yeah. but they, they want to be, be the character yeah. you don't want to be the person uh -huh. pers watching the plot play out because right. you feel less involved in it and so i get i get that criticism i think that it would just have to be genre dependent it would have mm -hmm. to be it just because it just opens the door well if i can perceive that then the players are aware that they that they get information based on what the GM chooses to show them as opposed to what their characters do in the world. I go over right. here. I go behind this door. 
there is something behind the door and I will find out what it is because I open the door. Not because the DM just decides he's going to give me extraneous information that happens halfway across the world and it feels like he's removing, he or she is removing some of your autonomy. And this kind of gets back to the original uh, question by Brandon, which is you don't want to remove the player's autonomy to explore the world. And if you're, we want to make it more role-playing heavy, then you need to figure out a way to ensure that the players have the same amount of autonomy with some sort of role-playing encounter. I would suspect that perhaps splitting the difference in some way, trying to make something mechanics-based. So let's say you want to have a role-playing encounter, like that's a negotiation or uh, some sort of conversation try to figure out some way you can gamify it, right? Like turn it into a skill challenge. Yes, try to, yes. to make the players have some skill checks in there, um, but try to really tease out of them like, okay, you know, like, oh, I'm going to do a diplomacy check to try to convince him of X. And you go, okay, well, what do you say to him? Well, I don't know. I just, I bring up the point. that's like, okay, yeah. make them acutely aware that you're, maybe you go a little easier on them if they give you a good description. But, you know, okay, man, that's kind of a sparse description. I'm going to set your DC a little bit higher than I normally would. And the players that actually right. get into dialogue and are giving you really good descriptions, you know, you could even pull back a little bit, like make, make them think that they're, mm -hmm. they're wait, make them always be waiting for you to give like, okay, make this role. And then at first try to make them make a role for like almost everything, you know, like just like Matt had this tactic yep. and then pull back, pull mm -hmm. back, pull back. And you'll find, if, if you use the mechanics as a little carrot, like, oh, well, it'll be easier for you mechanically or, or you know, if, if you know, th then they'll kind of start giving you more, giving you more, giving you more and get invested. And if they don't, there's like, I don't know. I just like, you know, I just, I just tell him like, hey, you know, I'm a warrior. Like, I'm a soldier. <laughs> like, you should listen to me. And I was like, well, <laughs> and, you know, one of the other things that you can say is just like, you don't have to tell me exactly what you say. Just get to the point what right. do you want it to really you know in your end point what do you want it right. to be uh, this is this is a key distinction some people don't like talking in character you mm -hmm. you can get by with with allowing the players to not do that if they don't if they're not comfortable with it that's understandable some people i mean i'm i'm with mm -hmm. them i oh, feel totally. kind of corny sometimes like talking in character um Oh, for sure. But there's a distinction between talking in character and summarizing. What you want is right. paraphrasing. And I think a lot of people don't realize the difference between summarizing and paraphrasing. And I'll demonstrate. I, I know. Hold on. I, I okay, will demonstrate. Okay, go ahead. Dave, I want, um, I want them to know that I'm telling the truth. Yeah. It's, okay. 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 So, it, <laughs> okay. So how are you going to go about it? Well, I'm just gonna, you know, I'm, 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 I'm really gonna push hard to let them know that I'm telling the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a summary, or or I use things yeah. that are action oriented, right? Mm. Oh, okay, we're just gonna, uh, all uh, right, we'll 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 go. Uh, we come into town, we're gonna we're gonna take a rest, and we're gonna just kind of get set for the next day. It's like, okay, what? Th okay, that's mm -hmm. a summary of what you did, but I don't need every micro interaction or for you to come in, I, I, you know, 
push the doors in the tavern open and I say, oh, well, bully to you, bartender. We've had a long and weary journey, right? You could just be like, I go in, I talk to the bartender. I'm going to get us a room for the night, find some stabling for our horses, have a couple of pints of ale and stick my dick in a whore, right? <laughs> right. Bam, 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 bam. You bam, know bam. what? I want to say uh, our Curse of Straw campaign, actually, when we were going out to, I want, oh, wow, this was perfect. Because, uh, and I got to say, Chris was all about it, and me, um, not to bring in the, because I am, I'm a great fucking role player, but uh, as we bunker down in these little guard towers, Dave told us, it was just like, well, they're, the doorways are open, it's cold, the wind's coming in, and Chris was like, well, I want to go, I want to find, this is where I wish Chris would have just said, I want to find a covering. I want to find something. He tried to get so meticulous about the fucking, I want to go out and I want to chop wood and I want to fucking get this and I want to build a door. And you're like, eh, door's not really necessary. Where I was just like, we get, we we need to find a covering to block out the wind. Yeah. So just paraphrasing is, is good. And so when maybe you're having a role-playing encounter and you can encourage the players to paraphrase without summarizing. Well, I want to try to convince him to allow us to take some horses. It's like, hey, well, but is very different than I bring up the fact that if we have horses, we can get to our destination faster. And that's in his best interest because this is a time-sensitive manner or time-sensitive topic, a time-sensitive thing that he needs us to do. That's not dialogue. It's paraphrasing, which is different than summarizing from a high level. Try to encourage paraphrasing. And if paraphrasing is done enough you might be able to tease out a little bit of a little bit of dialogue out of someone like if they bring up a particularly good point in a negotiation or an intimidation interrogation kind of situation they bring up a good point and they're like well yeah give me a little bit of like what do you what do you say you know it's Mm -hmm. interrogations are great because players are probably more comfortable talking in character when they're intimidating someone, when they're like browbeating someone, it's like kind of cool. And, yeah. and I, I love doing it. I love like, it. Oh dude, hold on. Can I, can I stop sure. you for one second? Because I have a great memory of playing Shadowrun back in the day when sixth edition first came out, we were playing uh sixth edition Shadowrun with my, my group that I played with online for fucking ever. We played for years together. And uh, my player, Dan, he played a, he was an assassin, really. He cr- just made this assassin that was really good at just making people's days horrible. And he went and uh, they wanted to know about this uh, facility. facility. And he they kidnapped, they, kin- they kidnapped this security <laughs> guard. And he was just like, he got into, he really got into character. And he was just like, I lay out my tools. And I make sure that the light is on them to make sure that this guy can see how sharp and how, you know, he's just like that. He went into massive detail and he said, he, he's just like, I pull out the knife and I, you know, I, uh, I bring it around my hand to show how sharp it is. And I go up and I tell him now we can make this difficult or we can make this easy. And this dude and I already had him marked out that he was just like a level one, nothing. He was just like, just tell me what I want. He's like, I'll tell you whatever you want. Just let me know. I want, just please let me go. And he pisses himself. And he's just like, 
is that easy? I was like, yeah, dude, he's just a, he's a security guard. (laughs) He doesn't want any of this. (laughs) Yeah. And he, uh, Dan loved it. He was was just like, I did not think it was going to be this easy. (laughs) But if you just said, I intimidate him, you'd be like, all right, give me a fucking roll then, you know? Yeah. I intimidate him. No, I loved it because of everything that he went through. I was like, this dude just pisses himself and says, please just let me go. Yeah, I mean, more no, more cinematic, wonderful. and that's 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 yep. he was providing a cinematic description and not, um, you know, yeah, <laughs> I got nothing else to say about that. So. Yeah, no, I love it that uh, we need to us we need to get a little bit a little bit more cinematic in everything, but. We don't need to make it, you know, like the the plot-driven, end-all, be-all sort of thing. We don't need, like you said, uh, every now and then it's nice to know what the the bad guy is doing. I don't know. I'm, here I'm, I'm and not there. all that into it. I, I think that cinematic description has its lane. And if it's done, if it's being used to provide... Uh, a descriptor of something that is within the scope of what the players are, the characters are experiencing to liven it up so that you can picture in your head what is happening, Mm -hmm. then it's great. And I think if it's doing something outside that scope, that it's probably not as useful and it probably is distracting from the overall plot. But I do make room for Mm -hmm. the possibility that for some genres, it might be a very useful tool. Like for horror games in particular, I could see it being super useful Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, because a horror game is not in the same way like a quest oriented you know mechanics heavy or likely to be mechanics heavy like call of cthulhu or something it seems like it would because most of what it is that's enshrined in our brains in these genres is either movies or books and mm-hmm. but if you want it to feel more quest oriented then Maybe don't do that. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, I think that's going to bring us uh, to the end of this week's episode. And uh, let us know. Did we, did we answer your question? Brandon, especially, please let us know if we answered your question. (laughs) Let us know at inside the GM studio at gmail.com. Going to do it next week. Uh, And anybody else out there, let us know. We do a good job. Uh, maybe, maybe okay. not. But uh, for this week, for Inside the GM Studio, I've been your host, man. A good night.